Welcome back to Work Actually. Now this is another isolation episode. Today I chat to a guy called Ben who has celebrated his 500th day sober whilst in lockdown. The last time he was in isolation was when he was in rehab and this time is therefore challenging for lots of different reasons and I wanted to chat to him to hear about how he's coping and what he does to maintain a little bit of structure and control as a recovering addict. You may have seen him already actually featured on BBC or Sky News talking about what it's like being a recovering addict at this time. And if you or someone you know is also going through this, then do check out his blog, Beyond the Bottle, where he's building a real community of those in a similar position and who can support each other. So I hope you enjoy the chat. Also, this was recorded as a Zoom video chat originally, so um, sorry for any slight hiccups with the sound. How are you doing today in isolation? I'm doing okay. Uh, It's a beautiful day. So. so this is a slightly different version to the podcast that I was creating, Work Work Actually, where I had started talking to people about their everyday jobs and kind of delving into the real nine to five or whatever the hours are and kind of getting um, a sense of what a job is really like. You know, you see a glossy day in the life feature or you read a job description and um, it doesn't really give you the truth. And so that was what this series was for. But obviously now we're in isolation. It's like taken a slight, slight twist. And I thought it might be interesting to talk to different people who have been affected and who are, you know, going through things that other people would find interesting and inspiring. And you, I thought of you because not only are you a great friend and an amazing person, but you have been through something quite big in your life or really big. Yeah, before we get into your story, just like day to day, how are you coping? Um it's it's a different situation for everyone and it's proving that for me you know recovery for me was built on um lots of doing so i got back into work very quickly i started socializing very quickly and kind of setting myself goals and challenges and of course at the moment that's kind of all been put on hold as you know everyone can i think relate to but it particularly kind of brings up day to day just kind of how i can fill time and fill those slots that my head might be going places I don't want it to. So some days are better than others, but we battle on. Well, I think that for a lot of people, it gives you time to reflect, which can be a good and bad thing. And I think it's now because work has been, or the usual work routine for a lot of people have been ta- has been taken out of the equation. It's now down to you to kind of bring in some of that control and structure, which, you know, is tough. It's tough for anyone, never mind if you're quite reliant on it to keep you focused and distracted. We obviously work together in for a PR agency. And actually, it was through talking with you, I started reflecting a bit more on how alcohol is quite even just a big part of a day-to-day office life. You know, we'd have a drink a lot of nights after work. You know, a group of us would have a drink on a Friday, we still do, you know, talking about... Um, the week client drinks you know and it was only when I started talking to you a bit more and how you started to really notice um the issues at work that I realized how how part of that culture it still is and you obviously have been now sober for 14 months months. Mm. it's amazing let's go back then to when you first maybe started to see there was something going on that was a slightly now escalated to out of just the normal drink after work. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a tough one. And, you know, everyone kind of asks this question, when did it get bad? Well, so uh, you ran a pub, actually, didn't you, way before I knew you? 
Yeah, and that's and that's so looking looking back, it's it's taken me a long time to realise where perhaps the behaviour started. It's very easy to talk about your rock bottom, um, and a lot of people do because it tends to be you know the point where you're usually crying and decide to make a decision to change your life. You know, mine happened a long time after my problematic behaviour started. I mean, yeah, as you say, I graduated university. I was always the one who essentially stayed out the longest, drank too much, um, generally had a whiskey in the evenings because I tell myself, oh, this is the adult thing to do. Um, you know, I'm a grown-up now. I'm not, I'm not living at home and, and normalised it. Um, and then it became to, then I ran a pub straight, straight after university. Again, I'd have a drink after the bar. After we shut the bar, people would offer you drinks. Again, normalizing the whole time. So it's okay because I run a pub, obviously. Um, and that transferred into when we started working together to now I work in a London agency and it's the norm to drink. Little did I know that three years later that would, that would lead to a, a, big, change, a big life change. Um, so it kind of, it's, I think every addict will agree that when you look back, it's never a problem. Um, until you really have to kind of reflect on your life. And that's usually the point that you need to make a change. I mean, for me, it was loss of job, loss of house, loss of girlfriend, but some people don't have those. I'm quite, I've, I kind of look at myself quite lucky that I almost had those losses to really be able to look back because otherwise I don't think I would and arguably I wouldn't be sitting here. So. And those um, losses came as a result of drinking, not you lost them and then you started to have a drink problem. No, no, no. Direct impact. Um, I was to, I, I kind of, I think in my head, I was kind of trying to solve a work problem with a drink problem or a drink problem with a work problem. I don't know. Because I moved three agencies in a very quick succession. And I think I told myself I was unhappy, but actually it was because I couldn't do the job and I couldn't do the job because I was drinking on the tube at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and it surprised a lot of bosses to know that. And a lot, a lot of bosses have reached out and said, I, I honestly had no idea. Um, because you've you, now been honest and kind of, you know, let people know by your social networks and things that you. Yeah. Have. And it's, it's a hard thing to do because, you know, you do risk people viewing you a different way. Um, but what's more important for me is kind of reaching out to people and letting them know that look, this does happen to people. And, and we need to be aware that it's a problem in, in our industry and in every industry. So it's, it's tough to do this, but let's go back to a typical day then where you were quite seriously drinking, but still working. So you just mentioned drinking on the tube. Like, what were you yeah. drinking? And So um, I won't name any names, obviously. Um, <laughs> but a, a typical day would start like anyone else's, 7 a.m., get up. Um, at this point, I'd be pretty violently shaking. Um, I'd have had I'd have had a drink in the night to get me back to sleep at about two o'clock. Oh wow! Um, so that shaking was the withdrawal from the day before. Yeah. Um, so then I'd wake up. I'd generally find anything I could in the kitchen, which was usually a half a bottle of wine from the night before. So I'd chug that before I brush my teeth. Uh, I'd get in the shower. Then I'd stop at um, near to where I lived on the way to the tube. There was this little dodgy news agent who got to be my friend and would sell me a, a little seventy cl bottle of vodka. Um, but most days, every day, every day that failed. Um, and then I knew that it took 27 seconds for the lift to get from ground floor to first floor of the tube. So that's the amount of time I had to empty a Ribena bottle, put the vodka in it, seal it back, um, and then get on the train. And I'd, I'd finished that by the time I got to the office. Um, then throughout the day, I'd as soon as the clock hit 12, I'd basically be in the pub for three double gin and tonics at lunch. 
I'd make at least two trips out during the afternoon and then I'd, I'd stop for beers on the way home. I mean, that was a good day. If I had more time, I'd be in the pub more. But um, And you were able to do this without really much suspicion. Yeah, because, I mean, you're not, you're not getting drunk, you know. Right. You're just topping up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally to, to stop the shakes. I mean, there was, there was one time, I'll just touch on it because it's, it's arguably messed up, but I, I, I got into work and I hadn't, the, the news agent was closed in the morning. So I hadn't had my morning vodka and I could feel myself going. And of course, you know, with withdrawals, you have, you have dangers of seizing. And that's what happened to me later on. But um, I knew I had a two hour meeting and I couldn't go into it without alcohol. And luckily the team had given me six bottles of beer for my birthday. The week before um so i ran over to my locker went in the disabled toilets before the meeting cracked them all open on the sink drank them all in about four minutes and then marched <gasps> into the meeting like nothing was wrong oh my God. um that's that's the type of and this is at sort of nine o'clock in the morning that yeah that was yeah about nine half nine. Oh my god and it's wow. it, it, it's crazy and that was normal that was your normal day-to-day routine literally yeah every day yeah so then obviously you can't sustain that that lifestyle so and even you like you were sustaining it for a lot longer than most people probably could but what then started to change was it that you started to drink even more yeah you 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 basically reach a point i mean i knew i had to stay compass mentis to a level so mm-hmm. i knew i could only have five gin and tonics throughout the day instead of six because i'd seen buzzed so to speak so I knew I had a limit. I mean, after work was anyone's game. I'd just get absolutely blackout every day. But it gets to a point where you know you're not completing your work and you know that it's going to start to become noticeable. So I, I actually got called into a HR review anyway, not because of the drinking, but because I wasn't performing. And so we made an agreement for me to leave that week. Um, they didn't have an idea of the problem. I didn't bring it up. We just both agreed. Off you go. Um, and then it just steadily got worse. I mean, I, my type of drinking when I've looked back with therapists is it's very destructive. You know, you hear of alcoholics, alcoholics who can sustain a path for 20 years of the, you know, six cans of Guinness a day. And that's what Dave drinks. There's no more, there's no less. Um, but mine was very destructive. So I just continued um, until a daily routine looked like four or five blackouts during the day. Generally not knowing where it was. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. So it, it just escalates. Wow. And then, of course, you, so you were in a relationship then. You don't need to go into much detail there, but that is a challenge in itself, isn't it? Because you are you trying to hide it or was it quite obvious to her? Oh, I had to hide everything. You can't... I remember you telling me, actually, how you'd, you'd bin food at your fridge to have the excuse to go and buy food for dinner so you could go to the pub. Yeah, any any excuse. Um, you know, if, if we had plentiful food in the house, if someone had mentioned one thing that they wanted, it was like that was the moment we were having it when I needed to go out. Mm. And I, of course, I had to go to four shops to find the one bit of saffron that I needed. Um, and it took me an hour because that's just what I did. It's and then, duplicitous, isn't it? You're having, leading a double life in a way. Absolutely. Completely. Um, a life that no one knows any about yet it's almost the one that you're living to the fullest your, your your own life takes a second a second step back and the alcohol becomes your life it controls absolutely everything mm. uh, and because quite simply you can't do anything without it when you're physically dependent mm. so mm. and um you then 
got to the point where your girlfriend kind of staged an intervention? Did she bring your parents? Yeah, so my parents came to London after she she rang my mum with concern. And at that point, still no one no one knew um, the extent of it. They thought I was sad because I lost my job and I was looking for others. Um, they didn't they didn't know it was morning till night. Um, and then I got I got taken to Nottingham um, and I carried on secretly drinking while I was staying with my parents. And they thought I just needed a little break from the London life, so to speak, because that's how and- I was framed. And is that what you thought? Or did you kind of tell yourself that as well? Did you think, I'm in serious shit here? Or did you think, actually, I can sort myself out if I just... Yeah, at this, point, at this point, I'm still in complete denial that I'm at it. I don't believe that. And I genuinely didn't. And not one point really? in my head go, you're an addict. It thought, yeah, you drink too much, but you don't have but a even job. Even when you're cracking open six bottles of beer at work before a morning meeting, you're still like, I'm in control of this. It's more, yeah, it's more I'm in control, but right now I need. And that, and the need is more than the the understanding why. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, so I stayed with my mum for about two months, um, and then she started she started to get an inkling that something wasn't right when she probably found the five bottles of wine hidden under my bed and the gin and the guitar case and whatever else. Um, and she said, "Okay, this needs to stop. Um, we need to try and have a dry week." And little little did we know the health risks associated with that at the time. So I said, "Yeah, fuck it, I'll stop. It's fine." Um, so I abruptly stopped, uh, and within 16 hours, I had two seizures in a row in the centre of Nottingham. Um, was ambulanced and rushed into hospital. Um, These for, are seizures caused by just straight withdrawal. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very dangerous to withdraw straight from alcohol. Um, other substances you can, but alcohol, you just can't. Um, and I got rushed into an intensive unit um, for two days. And then more stories ensue of my little... I, I mean, I want to get on to how you're coping now, but I would like you just to go into... Because for, for a lot of people listening to what you're saying, it, it sounds terrifying to the point where you think, God, having a seizure, having two seizures, going to hospital, that's enough to make you stop drinking. But it wasn't for you, was it? No, no. That was... That was <laughs> compared to what I did while I was in hospital. Um, I'll touch it. So... It was, it was probably day, I think it was the start of day two and my parents were ordered to leave because you can't stay in a unit the whole time. Um, and I suddenly decided that I wasn't happy and that I needed alcohol and I felt suddenly kind of the strength enough to, to solve that problem. So despite everything that had happened, there I was laying in a bed and the only thing still on my mind was I need to drink. Um, so basically I said I was going for a cigarette um, and ran across a dual carriageway uh, to get to a spa shop and I bought a litre of gin and a litre of vodka. I drank the gin on the way back and still to this day, I don't know how I did it because a I... Liter. A yeah, litre of gin? Yeah. I mean, I, it was a half an hour walk back, so it was, it was all right. <laughs> oh, that's all right then. <laughs> but I, I drank that and I stuffed, stuffed the other bottle down my trousers um, and as soon as I got into my hospital ward, I basically emptied the vodka into the water jug. Um, and I then sat there thinking, well, I'm safe now because um, I've got my vodka, I'm drunk now, and this will get me through arguably the next day. And then I'll just do the same again. Um, well, are they not putting you on anything to combat withdrawal? Yeah, they they put you on... Um, it's basically... it's it, it, it blocks the receptors in the brain, basically, to make you think you're having a substance that you're not. Right. I can't exactly details but essentially they give it to you in um, 
decreasing doses. So essentially they replaced the alcohol with as many pills as you need and then wean you off. So I was about two days into that when I decided, no, nah, it's not, it's not good enough. Um, so then I sat there quite happily with my vodka, but anyone would go, well, that's great. You know, any, no this is where I kind of separate myself because any other addict would go, this is great. I've got a liter of vodka. This is going to see me through. But about an hour later, I decided that the liter in the jug wasn't good enough. So I then escaped hospital again. Um, ran across the dual carriageway again, except this time I'd, I'd pulled the IVs out of my arms myself. So naturally blood was coming out my arms. Um, my blood was thin enough anyway to where it was just dripping all over me. Um, and basically a camp picked me up outside of the spa shop. Um, and my mum, I was on the phone to my mum and I was telling her I was in Islington and everything was okay, but not to worry. Um, so you didn't really know where you were? I didn't. I was in full psychosis at this point. So I didn't know where I was. Um, when I was in the hospital, I thought I was in work meetings. I was talking about, we were putting together some plans and I had to call clients. Um, I was basically talking to my parents like they were peers, like my bosses, that we need to get a press release out, that we needed to make sure we got oh. on a call with so-and-so. And then I just snap in and out. So no, I didn't, I didn't know where I was. And my all I remember kind of vague voices just show the cab your phone so i showed the cab my phone he took me to my mum's house um and then they took me back to hospital where i stayed for another day because when you're in an intensive unit due to withdrawals they're not allowed to keep you for more than three days so i in that three-day detox they had i have stayed where i was they would have got me to a point where i could have probably logically seeked help um but because i topped up back to the level where they couldn't detox me. Um, basically, I was discharged and said, look, if he stops drinking, it will be a danger to himself again. You know, a lot of times, basically, when I, when I fell, so when I seized, I smacked my head on the concrete. But it's of common knowledge that if, if you just have a withdrawal seizure, they'll treat you, so they'll, they'll, they'll give you what you need there and then, but they won't take you in because there's so many, so many alcohol-related seizures that, you mm -hmm. know, within the addict community that if they did, they just wouldn't have any beds. Mm. Uh, you know, they, I think they took a judgment on that day that I was actually far worse and in psychosis and, you know, to have two seizures in a row is quite serious. Um, and my age as well. So I think that's the reason why they did. Um, but essentially, yeah, I was discharged and was told I needed to carry on drinking to function and that I needed to get a professional, a professional treatment detox. Um, so yeah, that's the hospital story. And then I did, two months later. Yeah, and you smashed it, didn't you? I mean, and I liked the story about how you obviously went through rehab, it was really tough, but you embraced it, you put your all into it. And then at Christmas, I think it was time to leave, and you said, no, I don't want to go here, <laughs> I want to stay. So I signed up for a 28-day programme, um, fully residential, which obviously consists of therapy, it consists of day sessions, AA meetings, whatever you need, basically. It's a, you're not allowed to leave that's just where you are um which is weird in itself but yeah it's not that weird now we're all used to it <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah i was due for 28 days i was going to get out on christmas eve um and part of me said this is really exciting christmas eve christmas with the family this is going to be great everyone had rung me and said we'll have a dry christmas don't worry but it's really important that you have to reflect before you leave and that's something that they drill into you because if you're not ready to go um obviously you're going to go back to the way you were. And I knew in my hearts of hearts that if I left, if I'd have left on Christmas Eve, I wouldn't be sober now. There's no question about it. Wow. Um, so I stayed, I stayed another three weeks. Um, 
And honestly, that's when I really started to learn. The first four weeks were really just about, you know, the first week is just purely withdrawals. It, it's horrific. Um, I, w- I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I won't go into it, but it's, it's exactly what you imagine if you've seen train spotting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, you, you have to, you know, you really learn to reflect, reflect on the past. You have to learn how you can kind of navigate this world sober um, with, like you say, the work cultures that we have, the youth cultures that we have, the kind of football culture, the sport culture. Um, you have to learn to navigate all those um, as best you can before you actually wit- uh, kind of witness them, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, so, yeah, kind of seven weeks total got me sober. Yeah, and you are obviously in a great place and you're so reflective on it. You're able to now look back and and help others. And that is one of your steps, isn't it, is to help others in that position because yeah. you've gone on that journey. So you obviously got a, a job that really suits you, working with people that really support you. You've been travelling backwards and forwards from Nottingham, kind of easing back into London life without putting too much pressure and getting into a great place. And now you're stuck in isolation as we all are and how has that been it started off as a bit of a just unknown I mean the, stru- the, the structure thing has really helped me so the, the I mean I'll describe so the first week was pretty much what I just call just panic it was me trying to find anything I could to take my mind off of the fact that when I was in isolation last I was in a treatment center for alcoholism mm-hmm. and when I was when I was used to be alone the most, I used to drink. That's when I did most of my drinking. So mm-hmm. actually being on my own all day, every day is taking me back to those places. So week one was just pure panic. I, I, I had tabs open on my computer from everything from like writing courses through to cat adoption, through to random volunteering services to deliver, you know, anything anyone needs. And I kept having to step back each day and kind of go, just slow the fuck mm-hmm. down. Like just, just stop. You, like you're in a safe place that's number one to remember is I'm in a safe house essentially I'm not anywhere at danger there's no one at risk to me so you're and you, okay. do, you just to be clear you don't live on your own you're on your own during the day but you have a girlfriend who comes home obviously yeah, in the she works for the NHS so she's still working um but yeah she's home home in the evenings and out early morning which is brilliant which is an outlet which I can come on to a bit later and, and you know I'm so thankful to have that I try not to talk her ear off every night she comes home because she's stressed enough. But just to have someone there is, is, is you know, I'm so lucky to have that and a lot of people don't. So, yeah, then week two's kind of come around. And with, with the kind of implementation of a bit of structure and just allowing myself to have the times if I want to panic, but just do it in a way that I can manage. So just, let, just slow myself down and kind of have a structure that means that most of my day is full, but there is kind of some expansive time if I need to, to reflect to, you know, I've been reading my AA book again. I've been looking down Instagram feeds of kind of other sobriety, uh, people battling addiction and stuff like that. And it just gives you that little bit of hope and strength that you need to kind of carry on. And what goes through your head? Because it, you can't go down the pub at this point. You don't have alcohol in your house. It's not as if there is temptation all around you. I guess you could go down to a supermarket. Um, but is it also bringing up other things that were the cause of what you were drinking from in the first place, such as being on your own and actually just sitting with yourself and, and, and thinking about, you know, your own insecurities and fears or work or. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, anyone who knew me when I was a drinker would say I could never be alone. That's, that's just known to most people that I know. And I'm, I'm, you know, I am still learning how to do that. 
Um, sober, it's a lot easier because when you're drinking, if you're drinking with someone, then you're not doing anything wrong, which mm. was generally how I thought about everything. So as long, but then that turned into well, isolation meant I could drink as much as I wanted. So mm. actually, I preferred doing that. But it was in a very kind of convoluted, weird way that I'd kind of talk to myself into stuff as the addict brain does. So it's tough because I, I do still find it difficult on my own, purely because I do get a lot of thoughts and there are ways of reaching out and I'm trying to kind of connect those as much as I can. But also I'm looking at it as an opportunity to learn and go, well, actually, you can do this. And when you, when you have overcome this, this is another thing where I don't have to feel so awkward around in everyday life again. Mm-hmm. Um, even nights on my own when when Emma's away or something there, there's there's just this onset anxiety where she walks out the door not because I'm well I mean I do miss her but not it's not because I literally am like pining for her company it's more like I'm on my own what do I do yeah that's the first thought and that's kind of how every day has been is kind of thinking like what do I do today with a little kind of I don't know fear in there I guess and you've channeled on a bit through a blog now detailing your story and um, which is already helping loads of people. And you've got journalists calling you and, and asking to talk about your experiences in isolation. And that must be quite nice because it really reflects to you how far you've come on over and over again. You know, there's people that will be in a situation, that awful situation you were in, that you feel quite powerless and out of control and on your own. Yeah. And I guess even when you do feel those insecurities creeping back in, you can look, go onto your blog or you can look at messages and think, actually bloody hell I've come far and I'm strong yeah I think that at the moment the the blog is literally a a showcase of kind of how just community helps everyone and you know AA everyone knows AA is built on connection that's why you go to meetings it's why you share it's why you do everything kind of you know it's why it was built it's why rehab's in the group because you support each other Mm. And we don't have that at the moment. And I think while, yes, you could jump on FaceTime for every hour of the day with a different friend of yours, it's exhausting. Mm. And as addicts, we don't want to exhaust our brains because we need to have that brain power in order to fight anything that comes in. And I think just, I've just thoroughly enjoyed so much reading other people's journeys and what they're doing to cope and stuff like that, that I just thought if I just start to put my own out there, then it might help even just 20 people check in every day with another addict that what did he do today? And the response has been mad. I mean, it's been everything from people kind of going, I've been looking for someone who I can confide in, especially younger people. They've kind of been like, I haven't been able to talk to anyone, but I think I have a problem. And of course, while I'm not a counselor or a therapist, I'm more than happy to listen to them and just go, look, I I can relate to this. So if I were you, I, I would think about taking steps down to everyone just literally sending one line and saying I just needed this support today thank you Mm -hmm. um I think it's a token of just how close-knit this community can be how it highlights how much kind of other people can help people with just a quick hello or just reading something they can relate to um and so if I can help provide that in any way then I'm glad to be doing it that's really good and what are your just quickly like tips for what you do in the day to kind of just get through and or just your average routine it doesn't have to be because you're battling thoughts just you know what are you doing each day apart from work to keep yourself occupied it's funny it's kind of I say that time is the enemy but looking back at my my kind of days now to make life easier it's taking time for yourself within the kind of mass of time if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so I, I kind of started every day by rushing into something but instead I kind of have a routine that's like before I check my phone my emails my computer I just take 15 minutes and just just take time for yourself and just go, right, how are we, we going to kind of tackle this day? Or 
you know, what was troubling me from yesterday and what can I do to make sure it doesn't come back today? And just by doing that, it's actually just immediately slowed me down enough to, I don't want to say look forward to, but it is kind of like, a, okay, let's seize this day. Let's, let's, let's battle it how we, how we can. And there's all sorts of things. I mean, I, I reach out to my family a lot because I'm super close and without them, I wouldn't be here. And as you say, I've got an understanding boss who if I need time, that's fine. But I guess just trying to do things that I love and also kind of keep in touch with what my head's doing versus trying to bash it away mm. is something. I mean, for, for anyone, whether you have mental health issues or not, if you're feeling something, the sadness, sorrow, happiness, whatever, it's, it's, it's because of something. Mm. And just a quick reflection on what that is can honestly help you a lot in times like this before you let it spiral. And just, I don't know, just, just kind of connecting with the stuff that you know you like or that you know you, read, that you want to read or things that you've wanted to do for so long, just do them. You know, I, th- I thought about doing this blog for months and months and months and now I'm doing it and it, it feels great. Obviously people reaching out to you, which is nice, um, journalists wanting to hear your story and it's, it's a, I mean, it's such a powerful story and your journey is amazing, but also it's um, a nice outlet for you. You know, it's writing, it's um, speaking to others, meeting different people with interesting stories and it's, you know, it's a nice way to distract rather than sat on Netflix or sat on your phone or... Um, which is still yeah. fun things to do in isolation, but it's nice to have something else that isn't work that's creative. Yeah, and I think I think you know, however difficult things can get, or, or whatever you're interested in more, it's like there are communities out there, and I've tapped into ones I didn't even know existed in the last kind of week, and ones that have reached out. And the more things you, the more outward you can be at times like this, the more reward you're going to get. Mm. Uh, and I think even even very introverted people will will find more happiness in reaching out. Just let us know what your blog is called and how can find it it's called beyond the bottle life of a recovering addict and it's at beyondthebottle.net nice and what have you got planned today bbc interview i've got a few things today i'm talking uh, a bbc podcast um and i've got an interview with huffington post and the evening standard amazing <laughs> nice all right well thanks so much ben for your time and let's check in again soon brilliant thank you Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that chat and any jobs you would like featured, do let me know on social media. See you next time.